the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Episode 35, The Book Croatoan. Jennifer from Louisiana, Jen the Dreamer, Jen the Optimist, Jen the Searcher, Jen known as Cleopatra, Jen the Killer, Jen the Informant, Jen the Deckhand, Jen the Prisoner, Jen the One-Handed. All these words, all these actions. So far, Jen's attempts to solve the world had been all about action. Above it all, it seemed, Jen was a doer. She was an active body. Some might even say a busy body. But maybe action was only half the formula. Now, it appeared, what was needed most was research. Sitting on a luxury airplane 40,000 feet in the air, headed to an ancient continent she'd never set foot on before, Jennifer Dash had decided now was the time to become Jen the Researcher. Across from her, reading from a pile of papers Mark Janner had just slapped onto the desk by her recliner, was Lilith Babbitt. In the hours leading up to her departure from Peru, Jen had learned a few things about her personal patron. Her late-night rendezvous with Captain Alpha was quite revealing. The results of that conversation were these. Takeaway number one. Lilith Babbitt is cutthroat and capable of doing bad things. Takeaway number two, Lilith Babbitt wants something. Number three, Lilith Babbitt doesn't want others to have or know the thing she wants. Four, Lilith Babbitt believes the ancient book points her to the thing she wants. Five, Jennifer Dash should not be friends with Lilith Babbitt. These were the takeaways that Captain Alf had impressed upon Jen. Reflecting now, Jen added her own sixth. Lilith Babbitt may be useful. Don't alienate her. The simple fact remained that Lilith Babbitt had rescued Jen twice over. And now she was paying for, in full, a renewal of Jen's body. Lilith was taking time and allocating resources for Jen to get a new hand. There was no external reason that Jen could figure which would compel Lilith Babbitt to do such a thing. She was either doing it out of kindness, friendship, or some other reason Jen couldn't yet see. She said Jen was special. What baloney was that? Jen recalled that moment when Lilith had smiled knowingly at Jen, saying, Can you not see how special you are, Jennifer Dash? Was Jen Neil from the Matrix? Jen knew this much. She was no prophet. She was no orphan princess waiting to be reunited with her kingdom. She didn't have a high content of midichlorians in her. She was no Jedi. Jen knew what sort of blood ran through her veins, and it was closer to that of a Sith Lord's than a Jedi's. She was not the one destined to rule them all. She was, Jen confessed to herself, nothing more than a bored girl with a bubbly ego. Somehow, that bubbly ego had led to all this. So, if not some sort of one-ring-to-rule-them-all prophetess, what was it in Jen that Lilith was attracted to? Was it really friendship? Could it be? Now, 
Jen didn't have any friends. That was made blatantly obvious just a few hours earlier. As she prepared to jump aboard the plane to Europe, Jen woke Lex up to say goodbye. Jen didn't feel right just up and leaving without saying adieu to the person she'd spent so many days with in excessively close proximity. The conversation went something like this. Hey, Lex, wake up. Jen, don't wake me. Lex, I'm leaving. Babbitt's getting me a new hand. Oh, good, good. So, I gotta go. Get on a plane to Switzerland or something. Yeah, that makes sense. I just wanted to say goodbye. Do you know what y'all be doing next? Sleeping, Jen. Sleeping. Sorry, I know it's early. We haven't slept in beds in forever. I know, I just wanted to say goodbye. Yeah, see you around. And Lex closed her eyes. Some friendship, eh? Come to think of it, besides the further family, which, let's be honest, Jen only spent a day with, Jen hadn't made any real friends on any of her adventures thus far. Once upon a time, she might have thought Tiff was a friend. Eh, but not really. That was wishful thinking. Even from the beginning, Tiff was weird. Too weird. The only other candidate would be Miles. Jen quickly brushed that thought aside. Surely Miles only seemed like a friend. That's what he wanted her to think. There was no real connection there. Nothing to hang on to. The truth is, friendship is hard when you're changing so often and so quickly. Any friend that Jen had before she set out to solve the world, old Red Jeb for instance, none of them knew her anymore. Old friends didn't know the Jen Dash of the present, the Jennifer of the now. Maybe Lilith Babbitt was like Jen after all. Maybe she reached out to her because she's like Jen that way. Maybe both of them are changing so often that friendship isn't really a reality. Maybe no one knows the true Lilith because Lilith is always changing into the new Lilith. To say you're a friend of Lilith is to say you're a friend with the Lilith that existed yesterday. Who knows who the Lilith of today is? Even so, though, once upon a time Lilith Babbitt fell in love, got married. That's more than Jen could say for herself. She stared at Lilith as she contemplated the woman. Maybe she wasn't evil. Maybe she was yesterday. But again, Lilith is someone new today. Every day she's someone else. Every day Lilith needs to be learned again. She's an ever-evolving creature. That's what makes her so mysterious. And so powerful. Jen spoke up. What are those? These papers? Lilith asked. Yeah. Come here. Take a look. Jen moseyed over to Lilith and grabbed several of the papers off the desk. They're photocopies of what exactly? These are precious. They help me understand the book I told you about. What language is it? That's the tricky part. Here, follow me. Lilith and Jen were alone in the front. Lilith arose and walked back towards the secondary cabin area of the private jet. In the back, Janner and four others, 
two of which were the military men that were at the meeting the day prior, while the other two, one male, one female, being decidedly geekier and older looking than the others, huddled over a desk strewn about with loads of papers, laptops, sticky notes everywhere, and, at the center of it all, two bound sheepskins. The one on top thicker than the one below it. Without saying a word, Lilith grabbed the book. She caressed the cover before sharing it with Jen. This is, we suppose, the first found complete transcript of the Croatoan. What does that word mean, Croatoan? We don't know. Lilith opened the book. Jen expected to see Croatoan written somewhere in big, bold letters. She was mistaken. There didn't appear to be any title at all. The book just started. With no header, no paragraphs, no punctuation. It used readable letters, though, not the strange markings that were on the photocopied page. This is the first section. There are six sections. We've found some of the sections before, but never all six and certainly never together before. Can you read this? Jen asked. All this takes some explaining. Lilith peered down at the huddled table. The five peered up at Lilith in obvious servitude. We're going to peruse this for a little while, Lilith said, holding up the sheepskin-covered book. Lilith marched back to the front cabin. Jen followed obediently. She was Jen the researcher now. Jen the knowledge obtainer. The world was built on information. If Jen wanted to solve it, she needed to slow down. She needed to hear what the world had to say. Enough running. Here, in these ancient pages, what did the early generations of Homo sapiens learn? What secrets did they hold? And did they lock those secrets away somewhere? In some book, perhaps? In this? This Croatoan? As long as Jen was just a listener, just a fly on the proverbial wall of knowledge and life, she need not worry herself with whether Lilith was evil or not. It didn't matter. Lilith was kind to Jen, and now stood presenting her with this worldly knowledge. That's all that mattered. Lilith sat back in her comfortable recliner. Go get a stewardess to get you a folding chair. Is that allowed? Don't we need to be in chairs with seatbelts or something? I own this jet. If we crash... No seatbelt is going to save you. And with that, Jen meandered around until she found an attendant to fetch her a small folding chair. As the stewardess brought the chair, Lilith ordered her to bring her a double scotch on the rocks. Once Jen was seated and Lilith comforted with her spirit in hand, she began. There's two categories. What we know and what we've heard. Call it tradition. There's myriads and myriads of traditions surrounding Croatoan, many of them diametrically opposed to each other. The mainland tradition holds that the gods of Greece and Rome and Iceland and the demon gods of the Mayans, all of them, were real. At least in some way. I've encountered certain events in my life that I simply can't explain, except to admit that there are forces at work beyond our capacity to understand. Now, I'm not so confident that what the ancients called gods really are. I think. Lilith hesitated, looking to choose these words carefully. I believe that the gods are as natural 
as opposed to supernatural, as you or me. You and I are natural creatures, products of the rules of nature. I think the ancients perceived very natural things as supernatural. Sometimes, those beliefs led them astray. Sometimes, though, it led them to certain scientific and realistic fruits. Do you understand me, Jennifer? Tell me what you experienced that made you believe this. Jen the researcher, Jen the investigator, on the prowl. Belief isn't the right word. This is not about religion. Then what is it about? Knowledge is ethereal, Jennifer. We tend to think it's sturdy. Our modern generations think that once a thing is known, it becomes firm, it becomes eternal. But that's not necessarily how life works. Knowledge can very easily be lost. The Crotoan has lost knowledge, Jen added. Hmm. Have you ever noticed that almost every religion and every old culture has a variant on the flood myth? A moment when the waters of the world overran the earth. It's this, that if you know where to look, there's a thin line of knowledge, of truth, behind every myth, behind every god, is a reality. The Croatoan is the thin line, Jen ventured. For a few hundred years now, there have been reports, biographies, whispers, that a man called by various names, but most often simply referred to as the Mad Arab, had a document written in the original language of mankind. This is part of the tradition now, not the part that we know, but it helps inform the parts that we do know. Okay, go on. Have you heard of the Tower of Babel? Maybe. Sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you what it's about. It's most widely known as a Bible story. Jen's heart revved up. Leviathan was a Bible story. Maybe all this would get back to the eternal guardian of the sea after all. Lilith continued. The story goes that at one time, all of man spoke one language, and during those generations, man was accomplishing untold feats. One of those feats was a magnificent tower, the Tower of Babel. According to the book of Genesis, God looked down on Babel and grew worried about man's reach. So he confused the people, made them all speak different tongues. But you see, God had mercy. He didn't confuse man's tongue entirely. If no one could understand each other, then there would just be chaos. And we homo sapiens would be just as every other creature on earth. In his mercy, it is believed, he created 72 languages at Babel. And from those 72 languages come all the languages on earth that we have now. You see, the biographies of the Mad Arab, they say that he had found fragments of the original tongue somehow. And greater still, using the original writings, he could decode any tongue on earth. His piece of the original language was like a cipher for the future. The Mad Arab was a sensational man, brilliant, and he used his brilliance in the most clever of ways. He traveled the world all his days, collecting secrets from every tribe in every tongue. He gathered them all together and bound them in one book. The Croatoan, Jen said. Yes. This is what tradition says, and it all makes for a fine story. But without any proof, it's just a story to tell children as they fall asleep. Like the story of the Pied Piper. Why had Lilith just said the Piper's name? Why did she do that? Jen tried valiantly to obscure her momentary panic, but it appeared that Lilith took no notice. She was too wrapped up in her own story. Then, from time to time, starting somewhere in the 1500s, as far as we know, these little manuscripts started showing up. Often, the people that came to obtain the manuscripts had no idea what they had. Tradition holds that the Mad Arab bounded all this world knowledge in a book written in many old tongues. 
He did this to conceal the secret knowledge. Someone would have to work diligently, translate all the pieces in order to understand his great work. Or maybe find the original cipher, the original language document. Sure, yes, that's true. But tradition holds that the mad Arab, after completing the Croatoan, burned the original language in a fire. Why would he do that? Lilith shrugged. There's a reason he's called the Mad Arab. Okay, so... The Pythagoreans in Peru found the original. The Croatoan the Mad Arab wrote. You'd think so, but it doesn't all quite line up that nicely. There's another tradition. One that says a rich Venetian got a hold of the book. And, wanting to understand it, tore it into its pieces, into its sections. Some traditions say he tore it into three parts. Some say five. And a few, just a few say he tore it into six parts. He sent the six pieces to six different nations, hoping that his friends in those nations would translate it for him, and each separately send back their portion translated. Those people then made their own copies, sent them to their friends, and from there more and more copies were made. This explains why there are different sections written in supposedly different languages in different countries all over the earth. Searchers of the Croatoan like myself usually find just one section at a time. But here, these Pythagoreans, this copy, it has six parts written in six languages. What are the languages it's written in? Lilith pointed at the first page. This here, the first section, it's written in a Romanized version of Chinese. This particular Latinization of Chinese is called Wade Giles. It was invented a couple hundred years ago so that Westerners could learn how to pronounce Chinese, meaning there's no chance this section is based off the original. The Mad Arab had to have lived at least a millennium before the Wade Giles system was invented, so the time period doesn't line up. Bummer, Jen said. So does that mean it's a fake? Actually, no. Quite the opposite. It rather proves that it's real. Proves what? How? I've been searching for the Croatoan for a long time, Jennifer. Before this trip, I had found, collected, two full sections and pieces of a third section. I found this first section already, this section here that's in Wade Giles Chinese. But the copy I found was written in Coptic. The blank stare of Jennifer belied the truth that she had no idea what the word Coptic meant. Coptic is the Egyptian language written using Roman letters. Oh, okay, so how does that help? This section one in Chinese reads just the same as my Coptic version. They have to be two translations from the same original source, so they verify each other. Whoever put this collection of the Croatoan together at least got the first two sections right. First two? Jen asked. Lilith flipped to a later page in the book. This section is written in ancient Greek. It's identical to a section I found in Crete. Both are in ancient Greek. Both are identical. So, this Croatoan, right here, this book you're staring at, is two for two. You said you had found two holes and pieces of a third section? Is that third anywhere in this one? Yes, I found pieces of what in here is the fifth section. Lilith turned to a page that looked like it had just crazy vertical lines scratched all over it. This is Vedic Sanskrit, which is one of the oldest languages in the world. Man, what languages are the other sections written in? That's what makes this so fun. Lilith's eyes were beaming. The one tradition I know of that speaks of there being six sections. That belief seems to be reflected exactly in this manuscript. That tradition says that all the sections are how and how-to books. Section one is how the world began. 
And this, this here, this Wei Giles Chinese, tells exactly that. It has a beautiful creation narrative. Then tradition says section two is a how to create guideline. Both my copy and this one tell of how to create new species of creatures. It's really gross and weird. It talks a lot about crossbreeding with certain monsters and spirit creatures. But it also has these hints, Jennifer. These descriptors that seem to require a backdrop of understanding DNA and modern eugenics. How did that get in there, Jennifer? A thousand years ago? Talk of DNA, eugenics? How did that get in there? Then the next section, according to tradition, is called How the Change Happened. Supposedly, it tells a story about how history changed traumatically at some point. Until now, this has been one of the sections I've never seen. So we've supposed that it had to deal with the flood narrative, but... Well, let's flip to the third section. It was very geometric looking, filled with triangles and slashes. This is Assyrian cuneiform, another really old language. But we've started to translate it already. Lilith lifted up the photocopied pages. These are other documents written in Assyrian cuneiform that a professor sent me. So far, it seems like it tells the story of the fall of the gods. Not unlike the story in the Bible and elsewhere of the fallen angels. Or the Greek myths of the binding of the titans. It's cool stuff, Jen. Lilith turned to the next section. Jen recognized it immediately. Elvish! Very good. It does come from that part of the world. The language is called Manx. Haven't started translating this one yet, but it should be easy enough. I just don't know any Manx scholars. Where, Jen thought about her question, where and when did people speak that language? It originates with the Isle of Man. It's a little island between Ireland and England. It's a tiny little place. Jen thought of the numbered man's island and reckoned that the Isle of Man was probably bigger than that island. The fifth section is the one in Vedic Sanskrit. Tradition says it's a how-to guide for escaping Earth, or at least, for escaping this plane of existence. I'm very excited to translate this one. Then the last section, supposedly, is titled, How to Release Dragons. Or, How to Unleash Monsters. Something like that. And that, Jennifer Dash, is why I'm headed to Budapest. We can't even figure out what language this section is written in. One of the eggheads back there, Lilith motioned toward the back section of the plane. Thinks it might be some form of Uralic, which is what the Hungarian language branches off from. Wow. So, that's that. That's the Croatoan. Yes, when I'm not trying to get secrets out of you about Magical Kingdom, this is what I'm actually searching for. This is what I'm dedicating my life to, Jennifer. I've spent the better part of my years now yearning to find this book. It actually... Lilith paused, floating into memory before reconstituting herself in the present. Is how I fell in love with Mr. Babbitt. We found each other, searching for Croatoan. Mark Janer stepped into the front cabin, standing small as he always did, dressed to the hilt in his three-piece suit and his nerdy glasses. Hi, he said, clearly annoyed. Can we have it back? We've got lots of work to do and precious time before we touch down. Wordlessly, Lilith handed him the sheepskin, then said, Get Roger in here. Yes, ma'am. Janner left. Lilith sat up and leaned in towards Jen. Why don't you get comfortable? Rest up. She motioned for Jen to sit back in the recliner, as opposed to the noticeably uncomfortable metal chair Jen's bottom had taken up residence on for the duration of Croatoan story time. 
One of the military guys, Jen supposed, the one named Roger, walked in holding a briefcase. Jennifer, I know that trusting me might be difficult after all you've been through. Lilith nodded at Roger. He sat in the metal chair, opened his briefcase on his lap, and investigated the contents. I want you to be able to trust me. Anything that I can do to re-earn that trust, I'll do it. Roger pulled out a wand device and motioned towards Jen. Roger here is going to find the GPS unit in your arm. Please hold it out for him. Jen did so. Roger rode his wand over Jen's arm like a metal detector. A red dot then appeared on the wand. Roger pressed a button and a mist sprayed out on a particular spot over Jen's forearm. Then Roger grabbed a pocket knife, sure enough, from his pocket, flicked it open, and, not stopping to listen to Jen's rebuke, no, 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 plunged the tip of the blade into Jen's arm. It's painless, Jennifer. Don't fidget. It was painless. There must have been something in the mist. A moment later, and a little fleck of metal rice was out of her. Lilith stood up as Roger applied a cotton ball to Jen's arm. Out of seemingly nowhere, Lilith pulled out a black credit card, handed it to Jen. With this, you can purchase whatever you need, catch a flight to wherever you want to go. You'll need to stay around Zurich for six weeks. The doctor will explain it better than I can, but they'll need to keep an eye on you for six weeks. Just a checkup every few days or so. There's always a chance that your body will reject the hand it's given, but we'll know for sure after six weeks. After that, you'll be in the clear. Use this card to purchase food, go to movies, go out with boys, whatever you'd like. After you're given the green light, I'd like you to come and join me. Join my team. Help me uncover the secrets of the Croatoan. Jen took the credit card. Soon after, Jen dozed off. But before she did, the conversation she had with Captain Alf replayed in her mind. After reading the note, Jen had snuck off to Gadar and Alf's room. She found them both awake. They were on a bunk bed. Gadar lay on the top bunk staring at the ceiling while Alf sat on the edge of the bottom bunk smoking a pipe. Glad you came, he said. Let's take a walk. Captain Alfred Bacon led Jen outside. Jen felt a little vulnerable walking outside in just flip-flops and silk pajamas, but the content of the conversation and the captain's spooked-out voice captured all of Jen's attention immediately. What did your note mean, she said. Babbitt's a liar. Yeah, I got that. The note was pretty clear about that part. But how do you know? We called Babbitt when we got to the Pythagoreans' camp. She was uninterested. Said she'd send someone to get us back to the States. While we waited, we thought, might as well get to know these local guys. They did show us the white werewolf creatures. Two of them. They said this guy, Clovis, I believe they said his name was. He was a member but got involved with some crazy stuff written in one of their books. And used it to start this genetic mutation business. When the Pythagoreans found out, they banished him. Said the book was a warning, not a guide. Well, we called Lilith again, just trying to find out who was going to pick us up and when. Came out in conversation that the Pythagoreans have an ancient book. I had no idea at that time it was the Croatoan. As soon as Lilith heard about it, she was here the very next morning, and a whole hell of an army. Jen, no one was infected. That story about how the whole tribe was infected with the virus, the leprosy thing, that never happened. No one was checked for anything. They just came in, and they wiped out the village. They shot them all? No, I don't know how they did it. They came in, all these military guys. They scouted the place. Lilith found the Croatoan, and within a few hours, everyone, 
Except us, of course. Was dead. Then they came with flamethrowers, burned the whole place to hell. Why would they do that? Why would Lilith want that to happen? She wants something. The book? Something in the book. She wants me to go with her. Alf, she wants me to be her assistant. I was wrong about her. You can't trust her. You can't go with her. She said she's gonna get me a new hand. Jed, you didn't see the dead bodies. Little, little children. They were alive, playing soccer, hanging clothes up in the sun. They were regular people. Babbitt killed them. Don't align yourself with her. She's a cold-blooded murderer. The conversation went on, but the recliner was so comfortable, it collapsed as she leaned back on it, so as to let her completely lie down. Jennifer Dash, the investigator, the aggregator of knowledge and truth, drifted off to that kingdom of jewels and diamonds in her dreams. Hey, Solve the World is produced by me, Dante Stack. Full attribution is given for all the sound effects and music we use on this program on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. Hey guys, next week I decided it's a good time to take a breather for one week and produce a recap episode. I'm calling this one another Noob Recap, but it's focusing on where are they now? And I just want to make sure we all know where all of the characters are that we've been throwing around, especially the crew of the Orion. And I want to make sure that I'm not, and you're not, going to drop the ball on any of the little strings and little plot lines that we may have drifted away from. We haven't dropped them. So we're using next week to remind ourselves about that before we get on down to mainland Europe with Jen. Okay, I hope you enjoy it. It should be fun and leisurely. So I hope you join me next week for that special event. Jennifer believes Lilith Babbitt is onto something. There just may be ancient secrets locked up in this fabled Croatoan book, and Jen can't resist the desire to figure out exactly what those secrets are. But finding out means continuing to side with Babbitt, a woman of power whom Jen now knows is a certifiable murderer. But Jen isn't making any brash decisions. She's Jen the Investigator now, and there's more clues to be sifted through before any judgments are reached. Jen gets a hand in all this, next time on Solve the World. <laughs>